going to be very exciting. Now, today we reach the final part in our preaching series entitled Unrivaled. Just to give you uh, the very quick heads up, if you're new or you've missed a few weeks, uh, the, the, the kind of reason behind this series is that in these challenging and changing times, as Christians and as the church, we really do need a, a fresh revelation of who God is. You know, the quote that has been kind of uh, on my mind continually over the last couple of months was, if your knowledge of God doesn't grow, then you won't grow as a Christian. And each week we have looked at a different attribute of God, a different characteristic of who God is. And over the last seven weeks, we've covered God is infinite. We are limited, but God is limitless. We've looked at the fact that God is creator. God is dependent on nothing or no one else. God is unchanging, our never-changing rock. God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere all the time. God is omnipotent. God is a God of infinite power. And God is omniscient. He is a God who is all-knowing. And today we're going to end the series by looking at the truth that God is sovereign. And it's very deliberate that this is where we end. Because all the best storytellers know that it's good practice to save the full revelation of the story to the end of the book. You watch a good film, you watch a good TV series, you, you want to save that the final revelation to the end. You don't want to give the game away halfway through. When I was a teenager, I, I used to read uh, detective books. I used to love detective books. I used to stay up late at night under my duvet with a torch and used to read through Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers. I, I just read everything there was. I really loved detective books. And all good detective books saved the revelation to the end. The revelation of who it was that committed the murder or the crime, how they did it and why. They saved the revelation to the end. Even great works of fiction like C.S. Lewis and, and J.R. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, they, they have this kind of mechanism where they will, at the beginning of the story, acknowledge the hero's claim to the throne. But it won't be until the end, until the closing pages, when they are crowned and they are ruling at last. Even well-known fairy tales that we, we tell our children that we know well, so well from childhood, they're written to build a finale. In the closing pages, the wicked queen is defeated. The villain is defeated. The unlikely hero triumphs. So we've taken our time over the last seven weeks and discovered the, the multi-layered perfectionism of God. And now we are ready to see him crowned as the God who is sovereign, the God who is ruling over all creation. Now, the idea of God's infinite rule is difficult to grasp. It is difficult to trust one who is ruling and sovereign over all, unless we have considered time, spent time considering different aspects of his nature. 
That's why every attribute that we have looked at to this point is building to this conclusion that God is sovereign. Even the last three weeks, Charles looked at the fact that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere all the time. Then the following week, I looked at the fact that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Then last week, um, Alex preached on God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. So he is everywhere, all-powerful and all-knowing. So he's, he's not just sovereign. He is, he is capable, qualified, and 100% all of those things. Let me give you one scripture that talks about this. The scriptures are full of, of, of talking about the truth that God is sovereign. Let me give you one from Acts chapter 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God and said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in there. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, the Bible portrays that God is sovereign, that God sits on a throne, that he is the ruler of all creation, and he demands our total allegiance. Now, one example of all of us believing at least to some degree that God is sovereign is the fact that we pray. If you pray, then at least to some degree you are saying that God is sovereign. You recognize that he is the author and source of all power and has the ability to act and interject in our world. Prayer at its very essence is the acknowledgement of helplessness on my behalf and dependency upon God who controls the world. James 1 talks about every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. The Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come and your will be done. The Lord's Prayer is, is a model of submission to divine authority. Every time you pray, whether you realize it or not, you are recognizing your powerlessness and that God is sovereign. So the next question you might be asking was, okay, Mark, where does God's right to rule come from? Where does his right to be sovereign come from? Well, it's not because we sinned against him and we feel guilty. It's not because God sent Jesus to die on the cross, and we should be grateful. The Bible tells us that God's right to rule comes from the fact that he made us, that God is our creator. We owe our obedience to him because he is our creator. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is our potter, and we are the clay, and the clay does not question the design and the purpose of the potter. You say, well, why? Why not? Because God is a good potter. God is a good father. God is a good creator. He knows what he is doing. He does not make mistakes. But here's why we struggle with this. You see, in the West, 
we struggle with the idea of submission to a ruler. We're so steeped in democracy that we feel that in every decision of life, we should get to register our vote on life's decisions. And when we look at human history, we can see the mess that man has made with the power that they have had. We look at Hitler, we look at Pol Pot, we look at Stalin, we can go down the history books and see authority that is abused and misused. But God is different. God is good, God is kind, and God is sovereign. That there's nothing that God commands that is harmful. There's nothing that God commands that does not do us good. And God can only use his authority for good. Now, in areas of life that we experience, we often find that people around us are looking for control. You see it uh, in children at the playground. You see the bully, the school bully, or the one who tries to gain control of a group of children to, to get their own way. You see in an office where one particular member of the team will be vying for promotion and, and try to use every scenario to get their way and to control others to get their way up the ladder. Even in family settings, you can see certain members of the family who always look to control the situation and get their own way in family situations. Control is something that we all wrestle with and we see around us in the world. But human authority has been given, delegated by God. In the Old Testament, God grants authority to both Israel and Israel's enemies for his purposes. In the New Testament, Jesus says to Pilate, you have, listen to John 19 verse 11, no authority over me unless it has been given from above. In order, Jesus, in other words, was saying at his, his, his trial before he was crucified that this whole thing of who's in charge and who has the authority to put me on the cross is only happening because God is sovereign and he is allowing it to happen. Now, whether earthly leaders use their authority for good or evil, they will have to answer that one day. But the truth the Bible tells us is that God is in control. But here's the key question that I want us to dial down on a bit. How much does God control? The Bible tells us that God controls all things, that he is sovereign. R.C. Sproul, who's, who's a famous theologian, says this, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will be fulfilled. Job 42 and verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There are no limits to what God can control. He is sovereign. But how does this work in practice? How? 
Because we can hear this preach, we can hear this truth that God is sovereign, and then we say, how does this work? I make decisions every day of the week, and I don't know that I can solve God. How can I be responsible for my decisions if God is sovereign? How does that work? So I want you to take a moment now for the next five minutes. We're going to delve quite deeply into this and look at the how. How can God be sovereign when I can make a decision and walk out the door and do something that seemingly I make a decision like that to do? The way I think we can answer this, and we'll see this in Scripture as we delve into this, is that the Bible teaches that there are two parallel truths, both working together simultaneously. There is God's divine sovereignty, and then there is human responsibility. And the Bible constantly affirms both. I'll give you one example, and then we'll delve a bit deeper. One example of the divine sovereignty of God. John 6 and verse 44 says, No one comes to me, this is Jesus talking, unless the Father draws him. God's divine sovereignty. But then Matthew 11 verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and all you who are heavily laden, and I will give you life. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. Both of these truths live side by side in Scripture. The sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. And what we must not do as believers is try to oversimplify Scripture by cutting out the mystery. Let me give you a word that really helps with this. The word is an antinomy. Now, an antinomy, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is a situation in which two statements or beliefs that are both equally logical or reasonable seem to contradict each other. In other words, a pair of principles that stand side by side seemingly irreconcilable, but both true. Now, in modern physics, there's an example of this. Modern physics has an example of an antinomy, and that is the study of light. There is evidence that light consists of waves, but there is equal evidence that light consists of particles. Now, it's not apparent how light can be both both waves and particles, but the evidence is there. That's an example in the world of physics of an antinomy. There is mystery because we can't quite square these two truths with each other. And when that happens, it scandalizes our minds. We like to have everything in little neat compartments and this scandalizes our minds, and we want everything to be tidy, and it's not quite tidy. Let me go into Scripture. Let me show you. So, again, I want to just, just show you how there are two parallel truths that Scripture teaches side by side. So God is sovereign. I'm going to read these Scriptures out to you. 
Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father in heaven. God is sovereign. Let me give you one more example. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the Bible there is clearly teaching that God is sovereign. He knows about the sparrow. He knows about the hairs on your head. He knows about every detail. Not one thing happens without his knowledge. God is sovereign. But equally, the Bible teaches about human responsibility. I could have picked loads of scriptures, but Romans chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 6 and then verse 12. Verse 6 of Romans chapter 2 says, God will render to each one according to his works. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. By our deeds, we are judged. We are judged by what we do. There is a human responsibility to our life. And then Revelation chapter 20 and verses 12 to 13. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. And now look at this. Look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 22. You have both in the same verse. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. It's talking about Judas. It's talking about Jesus going to the cross. And it is saying that, look, this has been decreed. This is God's sovereign plan. But woe to the man who actually betrays him. The man who makes it happen. Woe to him. You have both God's sovereignty and human responsibility intersecting in the same verse. Let me change track a moment. If you think about evangelism, you think about telling people about Jesus, sharing the good news, telling our friends and family, telling our work colleagues through maybe deed, being kind, through words and explaining the gospel. You think about telling people about Jesus. There is a personal responsibility to evangelism. We are called to open our mouths. Romans 10 and verse 14 says, how will they know if they have not heard? We need to open our mouths, tell people the good news, share the good news with our friends and our colleagues. But then the sovereignty of God tells us that God is the one who changes hearts and God is the one who saves. Ephesians 2 Verses 8 to 9, for it is by grace you have been saved. This is the work, the hand of God. Only God can save a soul. Only God can do the work 
of salvation. So we're not to lose sight of the role that the church and each of us have, which is to share the good news of Jesus, but nor are we to become overburdened because God is the one who saves. We are to hold these two truths side by side. I love what Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher in London, said. Because he was once asked if he could reconcile these two truths. He was asked, how can you reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? And this was Spurgeon's reply. He said, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. Divine sovereignty, human responsibility are friends who work together. There is mystery. It doesn't fit in our neat compartment. But we aren't to reconcile friends who work together. Now, there's a lot to think about there. But I want to then close with two practical applications off the back of what we've just looked at. Two practical applications on the back of God is sovereign. Number one, the myth of our control. You see, the world we are in is continually telling us that you are in control. And there is an element where we need to look after our lives and steward our lives well. But if we're not careful, we can take that on board and it becomes an unhealthy way that we live our life. We, we try to control a number of areas of our life. We can try to control our bodies, the way we look, the, the, the way we age, the fear of illness. We, we, we get completely obsessed by, by exercise or, or diets. We, we rationalize the, the costs of spending huge amounts of money on supplements or gym membership or medical procedures because we want to have control over our bodies. We want to have control over the way we look. We want to have control over the, the flesh that we stand in. But that is ultimately to no avail. Because Scripture says that our bodies will wither away, that time will catch up with them, and one day we will pass away. Yes, we are called to steward our bodies well, but we are not to be under the myth that we can control them. The other area where we can try sometimes the world to get us to control is our possessions. Again, like our bodies, our, our, our possessions are not to control us, but our possessions are to be what we steward. We are to steward them well. But if we're not careful, possessions start taking over. We, we start these compulsive purchases. We, we start to have a fear of using what we have. Some of us will hoard. Some of us will, will buy and buy and buy and amass a massive amount of debt because there's a certain lifestyle that we want to live. It will impact our mood if we don't have a certain possession. It will impact our relationship with others because we're not willing to let go of a possession or share a possession. But again, Jesus says, ultimately, this is to no avail. We cannot take our possessions with us. There will be rot and moths and dust and dirt which will eat away. We cannot control 
aging and our bodies, we cannot control our possessions. They will come and go. They will wither. They will go out of date. They will not be in fashion. That is something that is a fact of life. Third thing we sometimes try and control in this myth of control that the world tells us is we try to control our relationships. We, 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 we give them relationships with one another by God. But so often they can lead to unhealthy relationships of control. We all know the extreme examples of this. We, we see it on the news. We see it when we hear of uh, abuse victims or, or manipulative relationships. But all of us, if we're not careful, can try to control the relationships around us. I always need to have the last word. I always need to be right. It always needs to be my way or the highway. That can come into work life, family life, even with our spouses, with our children. You know, we can, can try to control relationships a particular way. But Jesus tells us that's not the way to live. That's not the way to be. Jesus tells us to put others' needs in front of your own. Jesus challenges us to be kind. You cannot control relationships. You are to bless others. Be kind to others. See who can be the kindest in a relationship, the most encouraging in a relationship. And the fourth area that the world tries to get us to control is the area of our circumstances. Life is uncertain. We all know that. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what next year will bring. We don't know what uh, even next week will bring often. But we can try to control the circumstances around us. We try to plan for every eventuality. And what happens is we can sometimes ruin the enjoyment of life because we are so planning for every eventuality, good, bad, and medium. We become controlling about what we let into our lives because we are so fearful of the circumstances that might ensue. But the Bible tells us that we are to live each day as if it was the last. We are not to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. We are to live today with the freedom that God has given us. You see, in all of these areas, and there are many more, where we, where we have a myth of control, what we are really doing is we are reaching for a control that is basically saying, I want to govern the universe. I want to be God and not let God be God. I want to have my way. I want to take control of my circumstances, my body, my relationships, my possessions, my finances. And I am not willing to let the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, eternal, never-changing God be the one who governs me. It's the wrong way round. It's not the way round that God has called us to live. I want us to join with David in saying this. Look at 1 Chronicles 29 and verses 11 to 12. Listen to what David says. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the glory and the power and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. 
You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I mean, what a scripture, what a wonderful heart cry that David called out to God. And when we are trying to control this and control that and have a myth that we've got our life sorted, let this be the heart's cry that erupts from within us. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. We give you thanks. We praise your glorious name. So the two applications from today are, number one, we are not to believe the myth that we are in control. And then secondly, we're to focus on what we do have control over. You see, the Bible is very clear that we can have control over our thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5 tells us to take every thought captive and obey Christ. With the help of the Holy Spirit, you can take your thoughts captive. And it follows like this. You see, if you control your thoughts, take your thoughts captive, that means then you start to control your attitude, how you are with others. That means you then start to control what comes out of your mouth and how you speak to others. And then that means you start to control your deeds and what you do in your life. And it all begins and it all starts with something that you do have control over, your thoughts. This is what you can do as a Christian. You can take control, take every thought captive with the help of the Holy Spirit. You can submit every thought, word, and deed to your heavenly Father. It's hard. It's not easy. You need to get into a pattern of doing it. But you can do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Submit your thoughts, words, and deeds to him. And then we are to trust him. We are to trust our lives to God. We are trust our lives to the one who works all things according to his will, which is good. His will, which is good and desires the very best for you. It's hard to trust him sometimes in tough times. It's hard to trust him sometimes when things aren't going the way that we perceive things should go. But sometimes I believe we are to step away from the throne because we aren't qualified to sit upon the throne. Only God is qualified to sit upon the throne. Life is a mystery. As Isaiah 55 says, God's ways are not my ways. His ways are far grander, far, far more incredible than I could ever imagine. Even when man 
tries to do evil, as it says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, at the end of the story of Joseph, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. It's the whole story of Joseph. God is sovereign. God is at work. We're to have a peace in the tension. We're to have a sense that I will act wisely with what God has given me, but for the rest I will trust and know that he is sovereign. He is sovereign and rules over this world. So let me conclude. It's a big old topic, the sovereignty of God. But let me conclude with a couple of final challenges. How long will you wrestle with your maker? How long will you wrestle with your maker for control? Again, I think we go to Jesus for a beautiful example here. Because Jesus, when he was on this earth, he humbled himself to the will of God. He humbled himself to walk in the way that God had ordained for him. Even through suffering, even through death on a cross. And there is something beautiful about humility. There is something beautiful about what Jesus modeled of humbly submitting our lives to the sovereign God who is good. There's something incredibly moving and releasing and beautiful about that. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says this. Let me just read this. Psalm 115 and verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. I want us to have an incredible peace when we hear those words. Not to wrestle with them, but to have an incredible peace that our God is in heaven, and he does as he pleases. He is a God who is for us. He is a God who is good. And he is a God who is sovereign. We are to trust him. And we are to submit to his authority. Doesn't quite fit our neat boxes. There's some questions we may have. There's some parallel truths that in our minds seem to be a loggerheads rather than parallel, but we are to trust him and submit to him. Can I ask Jonathan to come up, the band come up, Isaac, if he's back. We're going to worship and close today. We're going to worship by singing in a moment, but I really want to pray for us first. I want to pray God's peace upon us. I want to pray more than anything that this message of God is sovereign will bring a peace 
upon our hearts and upon our souls and upon our lives. And that we can come to a place, we will still have questions, there will still be things we don't understand. But we're to come to a place with our questions and with the things that we don't understand where we will say, I will submit, Lord God, to you, my sovereign, good Father. I will submit to you and I will walk in your ways. I will walk in your 